Stanford University and KZSU. This is the Stanford Storytelling Project. The people here in this room have done this before. We all have jobs and lives and kids and all this stuff. And I realized, oh yeah, actually, anyone can write 50,000 words a month. You just have to want to. I remember the first time I met a kid my age who'd written a novel. His name was Josiah Rebstein, and we were at a writing camp in Iowa City the summer after 11th grade for me. It was the first night, and a bunch of us were going to the mall, and Josiah and I fell into step. I started asking about himself, and he told me matter-of-factly that he'd written a novel. Incredulous, I asked to see it, and when we got back to our rooms, he showed it to me. It was about a jazz trumpeter, a stalker, and a murder. It'd be a better story now if I had read it cover to cover, scouring for mistakes, but I didn't. I read the first couple pages, scanned the rest, and satisfied that he had indeed written a novel, gave it back to him. Even after Josiah, writing a novel seemed impossible, a pipe dream someone like me would plan to devote a summer to before getting distracted by some base task like beating a video game. I was not, I had to concede, a writer. Which irked me. See, to me, the novel has a power. It's kind of the ultimate intellectual achievement. Someone goes off by his or herself for a year or ten years and comes back with a book that came from their mind and that they shaped by discipline and creativity into something with form and meaning. Of course, that idea is tarnished by every airport thriller and every celebrity tell-all and every drug and sex-soaked teen melodrama that gets written by some precocious 20-year-old every couple years. But the aura of the novel endures through all that. Yeah, I've written a novel. Still has a ring to it. At least to me it does. All that's changing, though, with blogs and direct-to-Amazon self-publishing and the profusion of books written each year. It seems like the novel is losing its stature. Now, as if that's not bad enough, something's come along in the last ten years with the mission of encouraging everyone to write their novel, to stop worrying about making something good and artistic and just tell their story. It's called National Novel Writing Month, and this year it was responsible for 1,643,343,993 words worth of new novels. Why are so many people writing novels, and is this a good thing? Or would we rather go back to the good old days of the novel? Were there even a good old days for the novel? And most importantly, how would Henry James feel about all this? These are some of the questions we'll try to answer this hour. I'm Charlie Mintz, and from 90.1 KZSU Stanford, this is the Stanford Storytelling Project. Stay with us. It's a little after 7.30 on a Tuesday night in the classroom at Stanford University, about three weeks before November 1st. As fluorescent lights buzz and weary international policy experts exit Encina Hall, a dozen students and wannabe novelists sit behind laptops listening to a sophomore named Hari Ray expound upon the virtues of rambling. The the goal is to write 50,000 words. So there are times when you're really stuck, you can't think what comes next. And one way to do that is to 
take a really, really long time about the way you say things. <laughs> um, that's one of the things I'm kind of good at, actually, is just describing things in excruciatingly painful detail. It's just like some of the things you would never, ever want to read, but, you know, you can always edit it later, too. Um, just, you know, keep talking about this blackboard and the exact amount of chalk that it has on it and, you know whether there's half of a word that you can still read or not. I mean, you can talk about it for paragraphs, and it's awful, but it gets more words. The ability to go on and on about nothing isn't usually valued by writers. But for these particular writers, it's almost essential. Of course, there are other tactics when the well of ideas runs low. But if you're trying to write 50,000 words in 30 days, there's really only one way to do it. Just go. Hari Ray and her students, along with more than 100,000 others all over the world, are engaged this November in National Novel Writing Month, or NaNoWriMo, as they call it. NaNoWriMo was founded 10 years ago in San Francisco by a small group of writers looking for novel, get it, inspiration. The idea was to write 50,000-word novels in one month. They succeeded and surprised themselves with how much sheer content they produced. Every year since, the event's gotten bigger, now, in its 10th year, it's been featured in the New York Times, on NPR, and approximately 8 million blogs. NaNoWriMo has, in short, changed the novel and who writes the novel more than anything since, let's say, keyboards. Or, if I wanted to say that like a national novel writer would, I'd say it's the best thing to happen to the novel since sliced bread. See, when you're writing 1,700 words a day, you don't have time to worry about cliches. They're not the end of the world or anything. Beyond the difficulty of the task, what's interesting about National Novel Writing Month is how populous it is. Everyone, from plumbers to teachers to lawyers, participate and get novels written. Not that novel writing has been limited to great writers, but this amount of participation, this incredible enthusiasm for people who just want to tell their stories, this seems to be something new and worth investigating. So I'm here with Hari Ray and her students to do just that, to find out why, Specifically, to find out what drives people to a project that requires them to write seven fresh pages a day for 30 days with no reward at the end but their own satisfaction. Is it masochism? Is it vanity? Or is it the same mix of ambition and obsessiveness that got these students into Stanford and drives people everywhere towards impossible-seeming projects with nothing on the line but their own pride? Our show's underway, but I wanted to stop for a second and explain the big picture. Today's show tells a story in three chapters. We'll be tracking the novel writing class all through November, and in the meantime, we'll be telling a parallel story about how the novel has changed to reflect cultural values and ideas about art. Stories on top of stories. Very literary. Anyway, this is what we have for you today. Chapter one of our show is called Portrait of the Artist as a Young Novelist. In that part, as we follow the novel writing class for its first week, we'll listen in on a conversation between our fiction editor, Lee Constantino, and UCLA English professor Mark McGurl as they discuss National Novel Writing Month, the birth of the novel's art, and Henry James's nightmare vision come to life. In Chapter 2, The 150,000-Word Woman, we'll look more at the conflict between novel's art and novel's entertainment. We'll take a trip to a San Francisco write-a-thon and meet some hardcore national novel writers... Also, we'll speak with an editor, McSweeney's, to talk about the impact of National Novel Writing Month on the novel itself. In our last chapter, The Novel Lives, we'll address one of the most cliché questions in literature. Is the novel dead? A question that, fortunately, has some very interesting answers. 
We'll come back to the novel writing class in its final weeks to hear how the students and their novels are surviving. Then we'll hear an interview between Lee and a Stanford PhD and learn how National Novel Writing Month squares with this so-called death of the novel. That's where we're going today. I hope you'll stay with us. This is Mark McGurl and Lee talking over the telephone. Mark, in addition to being a professor, is the author of a book called The Novel Art, Elevations of American Fiction After Henry James. The other big problem is partly, uh, you know, is this NaNoWriMo thing just a crazy idea? Is, 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 uh, are more novels necessarily better? You know? <laughs> no, I love this. This is like the ultimate version of something. The <laughs> ultimate version of the, greater, of the greater desire to write novels than to read them. Or, or, or more like, more accurately, to have written a novel than to actually read novels. It's funny because it, to the degree that the novel, you know, was going to be uh, transformed in its status from, you know, entertainment into art, that, that all had to do with, you know, reducing the number of novels that one could take seriously. Um, so I, so I love I love this exercise of mass creation of novels because that this is like Henry James's nightmare. <laughs> I'm sure well, this is the ultimate nightmare. <laughs> We're in chapter one of our show, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Novelist. We'll get back to Mark and Lee in a bit, but for the moment we're going to head over to the National Novel Writing Month class at Stanford. The class is a perfect way of looking at some conventional wisdom about reading and writing in America today. The conventional wisdom says both are getting less popular. People are watching more TV, more movies, and spending more time on the internet. The popularity of National Novel Writing Month runs completely counter to that. So how does this happen? Is conventional wisdom wrong, or is NaNoWriMo actually a different kind of phenomenon? Maybe what people like about it isn't writing, but having written. If so, then why write novels? They could be writing poetry, short stories, anything. What is it about the novel that's so appealing? In order to find out, I decided to follow the class through November as they wrote their novels. Let's go back to that day, three weeks before November 1st. As class ends and students spill out of the classroom, I'm in the hallway to meet them. Could you tell me your name, please, first? Emily. Last, Riles. Bianca Saralvo. What are you doing here tonight? Getting ready to write NaNoWriMo. Why? Because I like to write. This is my fourth time doing it. So, um, there's a class, so I had to take it because that's awesome. How about you? Why are you here tonight? Um, I have a list of uh, 101 things I want to do in 1,001 days, and NaNoWriMo is one of them. So, Skydiving, yeah, hiking the Grand Canyon, visiting all seven continents, writing a novel? How did the novel get to be in that class of accomplishment? Well, 
it took a while, says Mark McGurl. In the 17th and 18th centuries, novels were seen as trash culture, pure entertainment that did no good for anybody. Thousands and thousands of these novels were being written, and they were hurting the value of the novels and art form. Then a writer named Henry James came along and tried to change all that. He tried to limit who could write novels, so each novel would be better and worth more. Which is ironic, because in helping to give the novel that cachet, he made it incredibly appealing for wannabe writers today, the kinds of writers who are doing National Novel Writing Month. Here's Mark again. The idea is because you know, the rise of the novel as art is strongly associated with professionalism, and professionalism is strongly associated with, you know, uh, restricting practice to the degree possible uh, to those who, are, who have proven themselves competent practice. And so this, this, uh, the, the populism of this, of this event is, is pretty extraordinary, and it, and it, and it, and it goes in the opposite direction of that somebody like Henry James was going at the turn of the century, where to him it seemed like there are way, way too, already way too many novels. And, that, and the sheer number of novels suggested to him uh, that they all couldn't be good and that people were producing them quickly and without any, you know, concern uh, uh, for matters of uh, um, uh, form. Producing them quickly and without concern for matters of form could be a tagline for NaNoWriMo. It made me think back to Hari Ray's mini-lecture on rambling. So I asked a couple of girls how they felt about her advice. Being able to use a lot of extra words might become very useful if your plot breaks down and you have nothing to say. That's true. November 25th, you're writing at 2 o'clock in the morning and you just want to take up space and go to bed. It's going to be useful. Give me an example of that. Ramble. Go. Okay, we can ramble forever, but I don't know what to ramble about. Ramble about rambling? Well, I guess, I mean, it would be useful in the case of National Novel Writing Month, but it's also just useful when you're stuck in class and you have to keep talking and the professor's looking at you and wondering, you know, when you're going to get to the point and you have to think of a point before you can get to it and so you just keep talking. Got any ramblings to do? Not especially. I think I've trained my inner concise being too much. I have to get rid of that. Just the inner concise being, as you can tell. <laughs> right, got any, got any reminds me of, you know, one of the great revolutions in composition pedagogy mm-hmm. um, has been one, one of the sort of big figures in how do you teach, you know, students to write, and not necessarily write fiction, uh, any kind of writing. And the big, one of the biggest theorists uh, of the past several decades has been this guy, Peter Elba. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of him. No, I haven't actually. Uh, but Peter Elba was this sort of composition theorist who, who wrote a lot and was hugely influential uh, in terms of figuring out the exercises and the ways that people would uh, teach writing. And one of his main emphases, is, and one of the main exercises that he promoted and that it actually is done across the land, is uh, called free writing. Mm-hmm. What I learned was that I needed to uh, skip this principle of getting things clear in mind ahead of time. I need to um, plunge in on my writing before I know what I'm really trying to say. I needed to make a mess. Is the making a mess is the is the quickest way to say it, and it's the and it's the it's, make a mess is the concept that I cling to most most uh, most fervently. That if I let myself make a mess, it'll go somewhere. If I let myself keep writing, and I don't, even when I don't know where I'm going, I end up going somewhere. This free writing mentality, 
this willingness to make a mess is exactly what Hari Ray is trying to get her students to take on. A lot of writers, you know, want to write well because they're writers and writers are supposed to write well. So I'm basically trying to get everyone in this classroom to write the story that they really want to write, regardless of whether it's any good, and write it badly. Like, who cares if it's, you know, full of gaping holes and mistakes and, you know, whether your character starts out, you know, one way and then suddenly is like a completely different character halfway through, you know, you can fix all that later. Um, the point is just to have as much fun as possible throughout the month. And um, basically, I'm, I'm here to help out in any way I can that will help people, you know, have a complete blast through November. Suddenly something becomes clear to me. In all the conversations I've had with the novel writers, one of the biggest issues has been quality. Everyone seems to have the sense that novels are supposed to be works of art, and that NaNoWriMo is subverting that. They all say one of the hardest parts of the month is turning off the sense that you have to write something really good. After a number of these conversations, I started to wonder where that idea came from. If novels are just stories, then shouldn't the most important part be to make them fun and entertaining? Why worry about making art? Well, the answer is that it's Henry James' fault. He made the novel credible. He elevated it to art. Before that, it was just, well, it was just fun. The thing to remember is that in the, as of the late 19th century, the novel was arguably the sort of mo most dominant and pervasive form of popular entertainment. And so if you're somebody like Henry James and you want to, and you want to think of the novel uh, uh, as, as being something more than entertainment, you had a problem in that, uh, you know, they say that familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, well, that was the uh, position that the novel was in <clears throat> at the turn of the century. They seemed to be everywhere. No novel would have sort of been thought of as a work of art. It's, 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 not, that, it's not that, you know, there weren't good novels and bad. It's just that a novelist was not considered a kind of artist. Mm -hmm. How would you gauge his uh, success in that project? Uh, I think I think it was hugely successful. It was not successful in so much in reducing the number of novels that were produced. Uh, you know, uh, tons of uh, novels continued to be produced. Um, So-called genre fiction, which is say detective fiction or science fiction or romance novels, <coughs> thrillers. Uh, continued to be uh, published in large numbers, and especially when paperbacks really got going uh, in the 20th century, they were published in huge numbers. Um, so, so the novel as a form of entertainment has never has never really diminished uh, as a form. That said, James and his ilk uh, very much did succeed in establishing the idea that a novelist could be considered a kind of artist and that certain novels could be considered works of art. The pinnacle of this vision of the novel's art is arguably Finnegan's Wake. In James Joyce's infamously unreadable novel, you get a book that is the complete opposite of entertainment. All you can really do is marvel at it and take it on faith that it's a work of genius. That tradition is continued, and people still write self-consciously artsy books that are basically impossible to read. Those books, of course, don't make the New York Times bestseller list. Instead, books like Harry Potter and The Da Vinci Code do. The result of which is that it's become popular to announce the death of the novel. 
We'll get to this in the next section. For now, I'll leave you with a quote from one of the students in the novel writing class to interpret however you wish. You really shouldn't intend to be Janet. No. Trying to be Janet Abomish instead. part one of the show, we met the novelers and heard one of the big ideas for this show, the conflict between art and entertainment and the so-called death of the novel. In part two, we're staying with our idea of looking at National Novel Writing Month as a symbol for the novel's place and culture. But first, let's check in with that writing class real quick. 19 days, 4 hours, 41 minutes, and 21 seconds. Could I get you to uh, repeat that and tell us what we're looking at? Oh, until the end of NaNoWriMo, we have 19 days, 4 hours, 41 minutes, and 19 seconds. This is, so we're looking at the NaNoWriMo uh, website right now. Yes. So so that thing ticks by every second. Yes, it does. 19 days, 4 hours, 41 minutes, 8 seconds. Do you, do you ever look at that, or just randomly sometimes? Um, I try not to look at that. Just watching the seconds tick down, and you know, now we're down to only 40 minutes, and I just watched a minute go by, and it seems like I'm running out of time, so I try not to look at that too much. Um, how many words have you written? Uh, I currently have 13,024 words, which is a little bit behind schedule. I'm supposed to be at a little over 18,000 by the end of tonight, but I'm not worried. Are there some days you've had that have been going really great, and some days that haven't been so productive? There have been good days, there have been bad days, there have been no days so far where I've actually come out ahead of schedule, Um, but like I said, I have never yet in any year started, I've never during week one ever been ahead of schedule, so um, I think this is a good sign. I think if I was ahead of schedule in week one, that would probably mean bad things for the rest of the weeks. My name is Emma. Emma (laughs) Zyker. And what year are you? I'm a sophomore. Um, how are things going compared to last week? Compared to last week, things aren't going well. I've fallen pretty far behind, unfortunately. A <laughs> uh, lot of homework. And, yeah. That's, yeah, that's basically about it. <laughs> Usually, I don't know. Once I, once I do all my homework, I just, I'm just, there's so much of it, I get so exhausted that I just, you know, I just want to go to sleep. I have had a few nights. I had two nights where, after talking to someone else who was doing, who was who was noveling, I was suddenly just like, "Yeah, I want to write," and then I wrote a bunch. But then, you know, the next day it was just like, "Uh, I don't want to do any more than I have to," which I don't know. I'm trying to make it so that that won't kill me, but I mean, I'm still going. I'm just going at a snail's pace. That's how things are going right now. What's your word count? Oh, God, do I have to tell you? <laughs> yes, actually, you do have to tell me. <laughs> My word count is 5,000. Luigi was leaning on a trash can out in the alley in the back, smoking on his cigarette contemplatively. Man, it was hot in there. The cold air was incredibly refreshing, but he felt his cigarette was burning itself up far more quickly than he would have liked, and he was trying to savor every moment and every puff of smoke. 
Then suddenly, this super annoying narrator voice started telling everyone to do stuff. Will you shut the f*** up, he said finally in annoyance, waving his cigarette in what he hoped was the general direction of the author. For him, that was the sky. Ha! But you're wrong, Luigi. Take that. I'm not in the sky. You and your waving your cigarettes at me. Why don't you implement a plot change or something? You think I'm nice all the time? Yeah, right. I'm angry today, and I'm taking it out on you. Do something. It's special in that it's something that you do entirely for yourself. You know, you don't get... It's not like, you know, if you say I'm going to do well in school, then, you know... Other people will be like, you did well in school, and you'll get rewards for doing well in school. But this, it's just like, I mean, it it might even hurt you. You know, you don't have much time to do homework, you know, to go out. But, I mean, the accomplishment is something that you feel just, like, inside. And you're like, wow, I did this, and this is all mine, and it's fantastic. And I think, I think it would mean a lot to me as a writer to finish this. Just, you know, I mean have something of that length. I mean, that's big. 50,000 words is a big chunk of writing. So to finish that, I think, would mean a lot to me. San Francisco, where a bunch of national novelers met up one night to work on their novels together at a write-a-thon. The write-a-thon, which happened in the middle of November, brought out some hardcore novelers. I met some people in their 7th, 8th, and ninth years participating, and, of course, the 150,000-word woman. So can I get you to say your name, please? And, um, if you, you can just do first name only, it's fine. Or even no name at all, whatever. <laughs> you can use an alias if you like your pen name. Okay, uh, my name's Margaret, and I'm writing a middle reader for kids about a boy who has a sensory processing disorder. And he wants to fly an airplane, that's all I've got so far. And? Uh, my novel is a, it's a dystopian novel um, about a woman who runs away from her wife and kids and ends up involved with a lot of um, very sort of outlaw characters in the desert. And could you describe where we are right now? Well, we're under some very bright lights. We're, uh, we're at Somart, south of Market. There's some bicycles. There's many people nearby. Uh, some are wearing hats for the uh, film noir theme tonight. Others, um, you know, writers come in two kinds. There's the, there's the very quiet, non-performance type writers, and those are dressed in their normal clothes. And then there's the more sort of exhibitionistic type, like to get up in front of a mic and an audience type writer, and most of those are wearing hats or more noirish clothes tonight. So what you're saying is we have a perfect contrast right here. I wouldn't say perfect contrast, but we do have contrast. Your outfit is film noir. Are you a particular character? As close as I could get. While we're talking, the line has moved and I'm now at the front. Inside, Chris, a lanky, shaved-headed guy with a ready double-row smile, pumps my hand and points me to the sign-in table behind him. At the table, I cautiously inform the woman with the clipboard that I'm a guest of Chris's and receive my goodie bag. From Tavia, the woman who planned the night, 
I learned that about $30,000 were raised for the National Novel Writing Month parent organization, the Office of Letters and Light. She also tells me that about 150 people are here, almost twice last year's total. Excited, I dump my materials into my laptop bag and enter the next room. I'm in a medium-sized, well-lit room with a noir movie playing on a screen in the corner. A snack table, laden with cheese and bread and various dips, runs along one wall. On the other side of the room is a bar, surprisingly uncrowded, where the occasional visitor stops to grab a red stripe or a soda or a cup of red wine. I decide to stake out the bar. So, um, back here behind the bar with... Uh, my name is Kara Platoni. Oh, I didn't even have to ask you to do that. You're so good. <laughs> All right, go. Uh, I can speak in 10 second blurbs. 10, cent, ten second blurbs. Oh. <laughs> we're all very tired. We've been, we've been here. Uh... You have to get her to say that again. <laughs> I'm a Nana Wino. <laughs> that was the wittiest thing so far I've heard tonight. I just made it up just this very second. Oh, man. Maybe I'll put it in my novel. I love your costume. You should describe what you're wearing for the radio. I'm wearing a long, slinky black dress. Uh, that is a, what is this kind of collar called? A halter collar, thank you, with, uh, um, with gold flowers that have uh, little diamonds in them around the waist. It's very low cut. She saunters or maybe sachets off. Something tells me I'll be seeing her again. I go back to talking to Kara. So um, how many years have you done this? So this is my eighth year writing a nano novel. How has it changed over the eight years? Uh, I, see, I think they're getting progressively worse, actually. Yeah. Really? Uh, I've been using the same character for eight years because I'm too lazy to think up any new ones. Uh, but uh, after, I don't know, I think, I think after the third year it got harder. Because, you know, the first novel is actually the easiest because every good idea you've had in your whole life, you can throw it in the same novel. And then, you know, like with bands, they have the sophomore slump on their second album. Mm -hmm. okay. And third year, you get it back together. But fourth year after that, what, what's left to say? So you've kind of gone through the rise and fall. That's right. Like if, if, if I was a band on the fourth year, it would be the year where you get a new bassist. Yeah. And then after fifth year, you're just, you're off the map. And you suck after that. You pretty much. So have you, have you, have you kept at it? I, I'm proud to, to be sucky. That's okay. I don't mind. Interesting. So yeah. then why do you do it if, if your novels suck? Well, it's fun. It's really fun to write. Yeah. Fun. I can't imagine that being fun though. I know. It's actually great. Yes, it is. <laughs> is everyone here a masochist? I would say that a lot of the people here are people who enjoy extreme challenges. Because, you know, a lot of people don't stop at 50,000 words. There are a lot of people who do two novels in a month. There are some people who do a novel a week. There's quite a few record holders who, who try to pass the, you know, the 100,000 mark, 200,000 mark. Oh, boy. Oh, so it's unbelievable. I'm overwhelmed right now. <laughs> this is the, problem you get the room housing the bar has six or so tables where people sit and talk and snack before heading back to the main space where all the laptops are plugged in. Every now and then, there will be applause from the main room as the winner of a 20-minute word race is announced. I figure I won't get much out of anyone over there, since they're all bound to be typing away, so I linger by the snacks. Soon I meet a woman named Lisa, who is blessed with great wisdom. Uh, it's Lisa Frankfort, with an O. And this is my fourth year doing NaNo. Lisa's a therapist who's written before. One of her books is about community building, and another is about assertiveness. I ask her what she's writing about for her novel. Um, and what is my story about? It's about um, a boy, eight or 
it's over the course of a couple of years, 14 to 17, and it's his experience of his parents' marriage disintegrating and his conflict around his loyalties amongst different members in his family. From a rough survey of the other writers, Lisa's in a minority. By far the most popular genres for NaNoWriMo are, well, genres. Science fiction, romance, fantasy, thriller. What Lisa's trying to write is so-called literary fiction. Fiction that basically fits into none of those categories and is usually realer, i.e. more depressing. For obvious reasons, this is much tougher to churn out in a month. I believe, in fact, that Lisa would resent my even using the word churn to describe the process. I ask her if she ever makes compromises to up her word count. No, I actually don't. Um, And I think that the more that I've written, the harder that is to do. I mean, I know that there's lots of tricks of the trade. Um, You know, people having dreams, uh, having aliens drop down, somebody arrives with a knife, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Killing off your character seems to be a big one, but I, I can't do that. Lisa seems ready to get back to work, so I take my leave. All around me, people swarm, talking about their novels, thinking about their novels, and actually writing their novels. I start to think about the so-called death novel, and remember a conversation I had earlier with Jesse Nathan. Jesse's an editor at McSweeney's, a popular San Francisco-based literary magazine and publisher of books of short stories. Jesse also reviews books of the San Francisco Chronicle and writes on his own, so I thought he'd be a good person to ask about this so-called death. I ran into a guy in L.A. who told me that print is dead. I don't know, I think there's a lot of misguided sort of, uh, oh, the age of the Internet, uh, print is over, and book sales are going down and small bookstores are going under. And some of that's true, you know, I think uh, there's a shift going on, but literacy is higher among uh, the population of the United States. Literacy is higher than it has ever been, you know, and it just keeps on climbing. So more and more people are reading, and I think uh, there's plenty, plenty of good stuff being written. I sure can't keep up with it. I wonder how many books being written tonight will end up getting reviewed for the Chronicle. It's happened before. A book set in the early 20th century about a guy who joins the circus called Water for Elephants, which was written during NaNoWriMo and then edited extensively for months afterward, made it to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. The helpful media section of the NaNoWriMo website lists 28 other books written during the month that have found publishers. I look around, trying to spot the next published author. Could you tell me your name, please, and what you're doing here tonight? I'm Chelsea Harper, and I'm writing for uh, NaNoWriMo. I'm trying to catch up on my word count. Why do you do it? Because I have a story to tell. What's that story? Um, well, you know, like the, the cool, cheesy kind of things, you know, like, uh, like self-love and uh, people getting together and solving problems yeah. and overcoming evil, you know. Well, you know, the usual kind of stuff. So what does it mean to you to finish... Well, um, I actually haven't finished like my story yet. I've been working on the same story for three years, so um, I don't know what it, what it means yet. But I think it means like a like a personal goal kind of thing. Like it's it's really deep, and uh, it, it like it kind of reaches out to you, and like you can create something, and it's just really important and really awesome that you can create characters that actually come to life and can hopefully uh, go and enter up other people's hearts.
that mythical 100,000-word writer, or at least someone who thinks they might get published, I find Sarah, one of the youngest writers at the event, and possibly the only one without a laptop. Like Chelsea, Sarah also has a story to tell. Hers is not the people coming together and solving problems kind, though. Questions? Questions are easy. Okay, okay. So, um, could you tell me your name, please, and what you're doing here? I'm Sarah, and I'm volunteering for NaNoWriMo. <laughs> and you're also participating? Yes. What's your story about? Um, my story is kind of like um, a response to a lot of the on-the-road sort of literature about journey, like finding yourself through a journey. And mine's going to be a little bit different, though it's a twist on that. What's the twist? <laughs> you want me to give away the ending? Yes. <laughs> um, well, so it's kind of like the idea that um, through women and traveling, it's just going to end up being spiritually empty and meaningless. Great! That book needs to be written. Thank you. I'm feeling low, as if Sarah's epiphany will soon become mine. I journey out into the world of national novel writing, looking for interesting truths about the novel, only to find meaninglessness and spiritual emptiness. I decide I'll venture out onto the typing ground. While I'm walking, something Jesse, my friend from McSweeney, said before pops into my head. Uh, you know, Graham Greene limited himself to 500 words a day. Uh, Hemingway wouldn't write for more than two hours, you know, really concentratedly. And I think that's because you do have a, a capacity concentration-wise. Capacity concentration is an interesting term. It almost makes it sound like good writing for more than a few hours is an impossibility. But then I get an image of a marathon and realize it is possible. Both can be done, if you want to bad enough. I'm inside the main space now. It's vast and filled with the sound of clicking and key jabbing. I see a man leaning against a wall taking pictures, an observer. I approach him. That's some camera you got there. Uh, it's, uh, the camera's, uh, it's actually the lens. It's, that's impressive? Yeah. Oh, okay, I got you. The man tells me that he is a participant in NaNoWriMo as well, and that he runs a company that designs software programs for writers. Uh, and I take a lot of photos of the NaNoWriMo events, and gotcha. you find them on Flickr. So you've done this before? Yes, I, uh, a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of times. Are you yourself a writer? I am. So I've uh, been doing NaNoWriMo for uh, gosh, I don't know, a couple, three or four years now, and uh, came down for uh, this event last year, which was just an amazing event. And this year, it's, it looks like it's even bigger. And boy, they've uh, they've really done a nice job. Yeah, can you describe to me what sort of room we're in right now? What, what, what is this? Well, it almost looks like uh, like an old uh, boat dock or a boat uh, 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 shed that you would use to build a, a boat. It's uh, several stories high and uh, a little bit rough on the interior with truss lighting uh, on black uh, circular tables with black tablecloths. He has an interesting theory about what happens when you write intensely for a month straight. The uh, the middle the middle week or two is when a lot, when a lot of times you hit a wall. You, you start out really enthusiastically, you're writing hot, you're writing very quickly, and then you get to the oh maybe the twelve thousand words, and then you start to say, okay, where's the story going? And you pull uh, 
pull, pull, the, pull your rabbits out of the hat, call in favors, ask your friends for plot ideas, and uh, eventually you, you find your way through the middle of the book, which is, a lot of writers will tell you that's the hard part. And then you get on to the end, and you know, when, you, when you're writing the conclusion, the last act, uh, a lot of times it goes very, very quickly, and that's the fun part. When you see the, you see the landing and you're about to take, uh, take, uh, take it in for, uh, for the final, final landing, and uh, then when you finish or reach 50,000 words, uh, then you can jump around and uh, do, do, your, do your funny dance in your, in your, in your room, wherever, uh, wherever you can do that privately. He seems so calm and confident. Compared to Hari Ray's class, all the writers here are far more laid back. Maybe it's because they're veterans, or maybe it's the environment. As we finish talking, the Nano Wino wanders into sight. Excuse me, Miss Nano Wino. Yeah. Would you? Uh, would you? Still in my first glass of wine. I want to point out. How many glasses of wine do you expect to be on before the night's over? Oh well, uh, I, I think that I can safely drink four, and you know it is the night of writing dangerously, so. We'll see. I hear it can be pretty dangerous to write drunk, actually. I expect it to be a dangerous night. Yeah. Have you written drunk, drunk any previous occasion? I have written much of my novel drunk. Yes. Yes. How does it compare? Why do you do that? Uh, well, uh, you know, because I have to write a lot to get through fifty thousand words in thirty days, and some of that time I'm just bound to be drunk. Of course. What's 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 just better? Sober all the time. No, of course not. Yeah. Any other altered states that you go into? No, not not this month. Okay. I'm happy for the Nano Wino that she's been able to incorporate one of her daily habits so smoothly with the task of writing every day. I think that's a sign of a true master. You don't let it stop you from doing what you like to do, whether that's get drunk, play checkers, or read to your children. The next woman I met says she didn't realize that was possible for a long time. My username is Marco Polo. My real name is Lisa. Your username yeah, where? On the nanorimo.org website. Have you finished every year that you've participated? The first year I didn't. Um, the first year I didn't actually believe that it was possible to write 50,000 words in a month and also like have a job and have a life. And so I said, oh, well, I'll do 20,000. And I did that. And then the next year I went to the local meetup of other people that were about to start doing it. And I said this to them and they were all like, no, you don't understand. Like. The people here in this room have done this before. We all have jobs and lives and kids and all this stuff. And I realized, oh yeah, actually, anyone can write 50,000 words a month. You just have to want to. Lisa's jolly, like almost everyone else I've met at the Write-a-thon. It occurs to me to ask Jolly Lisa a deep question. It's a question I haven't thought to ask before, but one that seems important in getting a sense of just what writing a novel will mean for her life. Have you ever taken on a project as big as this before? Um... No, probably NaNoWriMo is the first really big kind of goal that I've set myself, and it's been great. That's why I keep doing it year after year. But now that you know you can finish it, is it even? do you even wonder at the beginning of the month? Is it always like, oh, man, 50,000 words, or it's just like... I have to admit that it no longer seems like a challenge simply to do it. So, like, last year I gave myself a different challenge, which was that I wanted to finish a whole novel that I knew was going to be more than 50,000 words, and so it ended up being about 80,000 words. Um, and you're making a face as if that's impressive, but actually a lot of people write a lot more than that. People write, some people write 100,000 or 150,000 words in a month, and that's, like, no big deal to them. Are, are they around here? Um, one of my friends sitting over at my table is doing, is planning to do 150,000 words. I can take you to her if you want. Can we go talk to her? <laughs> she might not want to talk. She's a little bit shy about Okay. And like that, I found what I'm looking for. 
Lisa steers me over to a table in the middle of the room and introduces me to her friend Steph. Steph's about a head taller than me, decked out in heavy-duty noir attire. She's happy to talk. Okay, my name is Stephanie Neal, and um, I, this is my third year doing NaNo, and last year I missed the night of writing dangerously, so I decided this year I'm going to come. And actually, believe it or not, I'm one of those very rare writers who actually gets energy from being around people. So if my story's not going well, I say, okay, now what? And somebody's like, well, what's going on? And I explain, they're like, you could do this, or this, or this. And then it sparks an idea, and there I go. So as of tonight, I have 68,100 words starting. So I've already technically won, but my goal is 150,000. Tell me about your life, that that you can do this. (laughs) Actually, I had um, been out of work for a while and not knowing what I wanted to do. And my friend said, hey, have you ever thought of writing? And I said, no, I'm a reader, not a writer. And she's like, well, we'll try this, see what happens. So I'm like, okay. So I have another friend who's a published author. And I said, if you can give me one piece of advice for a struggling new writer, what would it be? She said, know your characters inside and out. So I sat down and I interviewed a character in my head and they wrote the story for me. And I wasn't trying to do it fast, but the story came. And that's how, that's how I do it. <laughs> so you just discovered you had this untapped talent. How, is, how, is, how would you say NaNoWriMo's changed your life other than showing you that? Oh my God. <laughs> NaNoWriMo has completely changed my life. Other than before NaNoWriMo, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was out of work, I didn't know. But now I am, I want to be a writer and I'm a member of the um, Romance Writers of America and I have finished um, two manuscripts and I'm working on my third and hope to get published within a couple years. So it has like completely changed my life. So romance, what attracts you to the romance genre? I love to read it. And they say you should write what you love to read. And I love sci-fi, I love fantasy and I love romance and right now, for me, the biggest market to break into for a new writer is romance. Because they're always searching for the next Jane Ann Krentz, the next big romance writer. So what makes you stand out from the pack? Oh, I don't know. Besides <laughs> your extremely impressive ability to write in a month. I think I just channel my inner imagination. Because I firmly believe that when we're young, our imaginations are wide open. And then as we grow into adults, the responsibility closes our imagination, and if you can get that burst open again, the sky's the limit. It really is. I'm actually inspired by Steph's speech. I think of my own writing, my frustrating inability to imagine what should happen next. Maybe my imagination's shutting down. Maybe I should just have more fun with it. But is that all a novel should be, just fun? The photographer was writing a political thriller. Steph's writing romance. Is that all a novel should be, just a good time? Something Jesse told me comes into my thoughts. Most art should entertain. I mean, there is some maybe dull, good art somewhere. I don't know. But uh, John Berryman said that all the art that really survives will be shown to be done by an intellectual. And that's not like the intellectual in the kind of stereotyped way. Just It, it sounds like kind of a snobby statement, so it, it sounds bad. But I think what he's saying is just that all, all the art that lasts, whether it's a book or a painting, uh, comes from a very thoughtful place in a person. I see Chris Beatty, the founder, over at a table and stop to ask him a few questions about this event he's brought into being. 
What's gained with so many people writing novels? What, what's different about the world? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I think just the fact that people stop seeing themselves as sort of passive consumers of culture and instead see themselves as, you know, creators of it, that, that they have a story worth telling. And, you know, it's interesting. I think books are books have kind of missed out on the wave that music had thanks to punk rock where people, you know, heard these bands like the Sex Pistols and, and just thought, this is noise, but it's, I can, I can do this. Like anybody can do this. And I think books sort of never quite had that moment. And so uh, there's this real sense that unless you are on the New York Times bestseller list or heading that way, that there's something wrong. But I think my goal is to really advocate novels as just a great playtime activity that it pokes your imagination in really good ways. And, um, you know, that it just feels really fun in the same way that maybe doing a really complicated Sudoku or a crossword puzzle or playing basketball with friends is fun. You know, it's really just a chance to, to make some noise. So people have been talking about the death of the novel for 100 years. Do you think this is a sign of a rebirth of the novel? I don't know. You know, the death of the novel thing has always been kind of confusing to me because I've always been at the heart of this thing where this is the, clearly the worst writing contest in the world. Like, there's no judges, there's no prizes, you know, and yet we have this huge number of people who are eager to sign up and take part and to me that shows that there's still a real passion for the novel and that there's a you know that to me I think novels there's nothing more magical than a novel you know this idea the papery world that you sort of pry apart and lose yourself in um, and I think there's so many people out there that feel the same way and obviously you know so many people that are, are taking part in this um, you know uh, prizeless contest and uh, where the really the only prize is the manuscript itself so I don't know it just doesn't square very well with like industry predictions of, of death of fiction and I don't but I don't quite know what to what to do with it as Chris talks an idea starts to come to me NaNoWriMo might indeed be a sign of something or other in culture increased readership or more participation in media by the layperson but I don't think the broad picture is the best way to look at it talking to people has made me realize that NaNoWriMo, while a communal experience, is really a very personal one. It's an experience in changing yourself for a month. Maybe you change into a writer, or maybe you already are a writer, but you become a different kind of writer. A sloppier, but more accepting, more expressive writer. I've met people tonight who've had their lives changed by NaNoWriMo. I think that writing a novel is like no other experience, and Chris Beatty and NaNoWriMo give people that experience, just by giving them a deadline. Death of the novel, art first entertainment. These issues kind of fall away once you get what NaNoWriMo is really about. It's about doing something really hard and feeling really good about it. That's why people are so fond of Chris Beatty. Chris gave his 10th anniversary speech that night. It was a long speech, probably 30 minutes, telling the story of how National Novel Writing Month came to be where it is. Thank you guys so much. You totally understood what I was saying, tricksters. The idea occurred to me back in May of 1999 that it might be a good idea for us to write a novel in a month. And at the time, I was living at 77 Vernon Street in Oakland, California. Can you guys see that? Okay. So, you guys are probably asking yourself the question, is that the ugliest building in Oakland, California? And in fact, uh, it is. Um, yeah. But I owe NaNoWriMo to this apartment building. In two People were wrapped the entire time, the laughing at the jokes, cheering the successes. As Chris bring the speech to a close, I started looking around the room. Everywhere I saw faces, satisfied, smiling, excited. Some had tears in their eyes. Chris concluded by saying what he thought NaNoWriMo was all about. Same improbable feat of putting aside all of the chores and the must-dos and exploring a dream for 30 days. 
And I think, for me, that is the lesson in all of this. The world can wait. But our dreams can. Thank you. I wish you a very wordy evening <laughs> and a wonderful November beyond. Um, we got 11 days left. How's it, how's it going? Uh, everything's going all right. Um, I'm still behind my word count as usual, but like I said, I'm not really worried about the word count itself. Mostly what I'm worried about right now is getting my story arc kind of coherent, um, figuring out. I still am not entirely sure what my story is about, who's really my main... Still? You still don't know what your story's about? What have you done in the last week since I talked to you? I've been writing a lot of sort of extraneous scenes that sort of continue but don't ever actually lead anywhere and don't um, result in major plot development. So are you frustrated right now or are you feeling, still feeling good? I'm a little frustrated. I'm not worried. Like I said, I'm confident that I can reach 50,000 words, but I'm starting to get worried about whether or not I can really uh, pull this together into kind of the cool story I'd originally envisioned. We've reached part three of the show, The Novel Lives. Despite my quasi-epiphany at the write-a-thon about NaNoWriMo not really being anything to theorize about, I still feel like there's something important in it. Something important on a big scale. National Novel Writing Month is a huge group of people doing something that's supposed to be dying. Now, I think we've put the, is the novel dying question to bed. But what we haven't talked about yet is where the novel is going. And NaNoWriMo is just one sign of that. Our fiction editor, Lee, was in New York recently. And while he was there, he talked to a friend of his named Noam Cohen. Singing your cat. <laughs> singing with your cat. <laughs> okay, why don't we... Um, I don't know, what will I start with? I am a recent graduate of the, uh, the PhD program in English Literature at Stanford. Tell us a little about your dissertation. My, my dissertation is about the future of the novel form and projections about... The, the novel in the future in relation to other media. I, uh, I took as sort of the central theme of my dissertation the idea of the death of the novel, that there's, that there's this you know, ongoing rumor, legend, myth that the novel, the contemporary novel, is the, um, the last gasp of a dying form, that, that no, the novels that we have now are, are the final novels, that they are the signs of the... Of the genres impending doom. When did people start uh, worrying that the novel was going to die? As one, one critic wrote, the novel's been dying as long as we've had novels. 
Um, the, there is an anecdotal, nobody actually has the letter, but there's an anecdotal uh, evidence of a letter written by uh, Samuel Richardson, um, who was one of the very first English novelists, to his publisher in the 1750s or 1760s, declaring the novel dead. Um, that we've already exhausted all the possibilities for the form, he said, and um, in the future people will not be doing, doing these, this novel thing anymore. How bad are things now for the novel? Well, it's anybody's guess is what I think. Um, it's very clear that the r- rates of literacy have gone down. Um, there are fewer people spending, or there are more people spending a lot less time reading than doing other things. On the other hand, um, more novels are published every year and, presumab- and bought every year and presumably read every year than in the year previously. Um, much, they, it accelerates at a much higher rate than the population does, for instance, and therefore there is reason to believe that people are actually reading more novels. Maybe they're spending less time reading them, and maybe they're giving a lot more of their time to other kinds of media, but the novel itself doesn't actually show any signs of slowing down. What good is a novel? The novel's good for a lot of things. I think that, uh, that storytelling in general, to take it down to the most fundamental level, is one of the ways that we think. Um, and... Um, novels are, you know, we can reduce them to their detriment to thought experiments, but more than that, they're um, experiments in the ways that we think, which is different than a thought experiment, right? Um, but um, the novel, as opposed to fiction in general, or storytelling in general, um, I think is becoming, maybe maybe has not always been, but is certainly becoming a um, a genre or form of fiction or literature that raises, in, by its very nature, the issues that we're talking about here now, it raises its, the idea that we construct narratives, that stories are things that we encounter and can choose to become involved in and identify with or not. Um, and they therefore make us think about the cognitive, ethical, political, social aspects of that relationship between immersiveness and distance in fiction, the relationship between identification with a character and our judgment of that character, our condemnation of that character, our admiration for that character, as opposed to our one-to-one identification with that character. Um, I can hold any particular story at a distance or um, relate to it on a much more emotional or personal level, um, and that, that's true of any fiction, but the novel as a genre makes it impossible to avoid thinking about those issues, or it has become that genre. The novel helps us think about stories. That's how it's going to stay relevant. And so the participants in National Novel Writing Month are doing two major things. First, they're giving themselves the accomplishment of a lifetime, and how often do you get to do that? Set yourself to a really hard goal and then accomplish it. But even more importantly, they're telling stories, It might seem low stakes, but it's anything but. We live in a world of stories. Stories about who's winning or losing this or that war. Stories about certain people being good and others being evil. Stories about the way the world came to be. The novel, by its very form, is best suited to help us think about the way we accept, reject, and become manipulated by stories. There's only going to be more of them in the future, so we best start learning right now just how they do what they do how they suck us in, make us care about and identify with people we've never met, and change our minds. Stories are powerful. That's why telling one, a really long one, 
even if it's bad, even if it has mistakes and plot holes and inconsistent characters and doesn't quite say what you want to, is such a powerful experience. When I finish a novel, it's really this this complete thrill of having just accomplished something like really amazing. Um, for two years now, I have written on the very last day of November, written 12,000 words and just had kind of an all-nighter, really crazy, intense experience across the finish line. And so when you finally type the 50,000th word and your little word counter says you've written over 50,000 words and you upload it to the site and it declares you a winner, um, it doesn't even matter what you've written. You just suddenly, I mean, you really feel like you have accomplished something that most people out there haven't done and probably won't ever do. Today's show was produced by me, Charlie Mintz, with help from Bonnie Swift, Lee Constantinou, Colleen Hansen, Dan Hirsch, and Jonah Willingans. Original music for the show was written and played by Jeff Stryker and Max Citron. For their generous financial support, we'd like to thank the Stanford Institute for Creativity and the Arts, Stanford's Oral Communication Program, Stanford's Continuing Studies, and the Hume Writing Center. The KZSU would like to thank the law offices of Fenwick and West. Remember that you can find a podcast of this and every episode of the Stanford Storytelling Project on Stanford iTunes and on our website, storytelling.stanford.edu. Check us out next quarter when we'll have stories of predictive powers, public speech, being a tourist, love at first sight, and more. You just heard Novel Theory, brought to you by the Stanford Storytelling Project. I'm Charlie Mintz. Good night. I'm Hetty Rye, it's November 30th. I just finished my novel about, uh, I'd say, three hours ago, and it is absolutely fantastic. <laughs>